Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Mooresville. Well, I have a, I have a real nice three-point sermon for you this morning, but hopefully the Lord will save you from that. Um, I was just getting wrecked in worship today. Uh, I just want to maybe just tell you a little bit about something the Lord was doing in me this morning. I, I, you know, I don't always cry in worship, but sometimes I do. And I'm really thankful when my emotions can react to what the Lord wants to do. And, um, there's a young woman down here on the floor, just encountering Jesus this morning. And, um, the third part of my message this morning is about encounter. And I don't know if I'll actually get it, get to it this morning, but, um, I didn't have an illustration for my message. I just had some words and I had no illustration. And it was like, once she went down, it was everything that I could do to keep myself from running up here and grabbing the microphone and telling y'all to be aware. The Lord wants to encounter you. And the very depth of your being is hungry and thirsty for that, whether you know it right now or not. And so, you know, I've been ruined. I remember when I first started coming around here and Jim and Byron were always talking about they experienced the Lord in these ways that ruined them. They use that word a lot. Been ruined for anything else. And that's how I feel about it. So maybe you, you come into a house of worship and, and maybe somebody's singing real loud or, or, or dancing or, or um, falling over. I like to say it is don't judge somebody's breakthrough unless you've seen their been through. Because sometimes people need, it's the only thing they need is an encounter with the Lord. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the sanctifying work of the Spirit. This is a phrase that comes from the passage, a passage in, in the book of First Peter, and it goes like this. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Let me read it a different way. To you, elect, you are living right now as exiles all over the world. You have been chosen according to the joyful anticipation of God, your father. Through the sanctifying work of the spirit, as a result, you have obeyed him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So let me start with this. One of my core beliefs, one of my basic assumptions is that God is always at work in my life. Always. He's always at work in your life all the time. I believe that we can see this from the Bible, that God has a purpose that he's pursuing. He has a project that he's working on, and he has a redemptive cause that he is always compelled by. And you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been caught up in the flow of that work. If you don't know what you're doing with your life, the very least that you know is you're caught up in the flow of that work. So this morning, I want us to find out 
that while God may never change, he is not static. That is to say, he's not stationary. He is energetic and he's assertive. He is on the move. God is at work. So why do we need to know this? We need to know this because what God is doing is an ongoing process. And sometimes, well, maybe all the times, it's slow and mysterious. And we need to believe that God is at work because if we incorrectly believe that he's not at work, then we are in danger of becoming discouraged and doubtful and we become susceptible to allowing the spirit of this age to convince us that God is checked out, that he's not intervening and worse yet, that he does not care. If you believe that God is not intimately involved in the process of your life, well, we're going to crush that lie this morning. God is working and he cares about you. And the wonder and joy of it all is that he has invited you and I into work with him in the sanctifying work of the spirit. So today I'll mostly be preaching from first Peter. So if you have your Bible, you can head over to the backside of the New Testament, somewhere between Hebrews and Revelation, where the letters written by the Apostle Peter have been strategically placed where you cannot easily find them. <laughs> so Peter is known for being the most impulsive, most brash, most immature, most rebuked of all the apostles, and therefore, I relate to him the most. Anyone else? <laughs> but even with all of Peter's shortcomings, he still had some, had some incredible things to say to us. So this week, I've just been meditating in First and Second Peter. This one thing that jumped out at me. And this is from First Peter chapter 2. The New King James Version says it like this. We should desire the pure milk of the word so that we can grow. And the NIV, the nearly inspired version says, crave pure spiritual milk so that we can grow up. All right. But my favorite translation, this is the Pentecostal version, is is the New Living Translation. It says we should cry out for this nourishment. Desire, crave and cry out. For people like us who believe that the Holy Spirit is always moving, always working, always speaking, always listening, I find this translation to be telling. We cry out for God's word. There's an action. It is not a passive thing to enter into the things of the Lord. I heard a preacher say this week, he gave his congregation some statistics that really convicted me, and I would like to give them to you. There was a survey in North America uh, taken with 40,000 people about the correlation between their habit of Bible reading and their personal well-being. Now, let me say, before I read this, um, the Bible's not a silver bullet. It's not as if you give yourself to reading the Bible, all of your problems will go away. So let me give you that first, okay? But now, here's what I wanna tell you. People 
This is what these, these researchers found out. People who read or read the Bible once or twice a week, there was a... Basically, that level of Bible reading did nothing for a person. People who read the Bible three times a week experienced some change, but not dramatic change. For people who read the Bible four or more times a week, researchers discovered that there was a massive and sudden spike. We don't really know why, but there was a spike in certain particular areas of well-being amongst those who read their Bible four times a week or more. Listen to this. This is crazy. Feelings of loneliness were decreased by 30%. Anger issues went down by 32%. Relational bitterness went down by 40%. Addictive dependency, alcohol, drugs, pornography, eating disorders, etc. went down 61%. Have you ever had a thought? You got, you got trapped in some kind of like vicious cycle in your life and you thought to yourself... I can't get out of this. There's no way I can get out of this. You can replace one practice with another. You might not like your Bible reading at first, but if you make it a habit, it will literally push those other things out of your life. Feeling of spiritual stagnancy and dryness went down 60% while sharing faith and discipling others skyrocketed. So when you give yourself to desiring, craving, and crying out for the word, your life actually will change. I hate that it's that simple because I'm always looking for the angle. It's really offensive when it's something like that, right? It's like pray, read the Bible a lot, go to church. Like we want it harder, don't we? For some reason, I don't know. So... Thankfully, we're a grace people. We will let the grace of God lead us into these things. Amen? Yeah. I want no part of like the religious side of this. I just want to, I want the Lord to bring me into it. So we have our part. God has his part. Our part is important, but we can never come into agreement with God without his initial and ongoing movement towards us. The sanctifying work of the spirit is what the Bible calls it. So according to this, the scripture, I have been chosen through the work of Jesus Christ to be obedient to Christ. You have been chosen. You are chosen. How? Through the work of the spirit. Why? To be obedient to Jesus. How have you been chosen? Through the work of the spirit. To what purpose have you been chosen? To be obedient to Jesus Christ. To be obedient. Anybody else hate that word? I hate that word. Literally, obedience is one of the words I hate the most. It frustrates me to no end. Because honestly, I have a terrible track record when it comes to trying to be obedient on my own. I really, really do not know how to do it. But a few years ago, I came across a definition of obedience that put courage into my soul. It was, it was a perspective on obedience that made me like rise up and go, okay, line me up. I want to do this. I, th- I feel like I can do this. So for those of you who are taking notes, you might want to write this down. I'll say it twice just in case. This is from theologian Chris Green. He said, 
Obedience is not the breaking of our will by a more powerful will. Obedience is the healing of our will by participation in its source. I'm going to say it again. Obedience is not the breaking of your will by a more powerful will. Obedience is the healing of our will by participation in its source. So we want to participate with this source of life. We have been brought into the life that is shared between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we have been drawn into the depths of this holy family relationship. And we are being healed and transformed by the love and joy which is continually being shared in that ongoing friendship. So God is not requiring something of you that you don't have. When he says be obedient, he's not throwing you out there on your own, asking you to muster up some power from some other source. He is healing us from the lie that we don't have what we need in order to live like him. Second Peter puts it like this. His power has given us everything His divine power has given us everything we need for living a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So that is why Peter calls this the sanctifying work of the spirit. So sanctify, uh, just put your hand up real quick. You have no idea what that means. It's an old word. Oh, you all know what that means. This is great. I'm in the right room, a room filled with theologians. This is so good. I had to look it up, y'all. So the idea behind the word sanctify is to make someone sacred. It's to make them holy. The work of the spirit is making you sacred, making you holy. Another word for sanctify is to consecrate. And to consecrate means to declare that they are sacred and they have a divine purpose. The work of the spirit in your life is declaring over you that you're holy and that you have a divine purpose, that you're sacred. Isn't that wonderful? The Holy Spirit is working in your life to bring you into the fullness of what he declared over you from the start. That's so good. It's good news. Some of you should be having encounters with the Lord about right now. We might even dare to say that to sanctify someone means to cherish and to declare that they are precious. Even someone who has been previously desecrated by darkness. So what is our trajectory? Out of darkness into light. We were once desecrated and God spoke his word over us and called us consecrated, set apart, cherished, precious. And dare I say, he was actually calling us cherished and precious before we made that move from darkness to light. He didn't all of a sudden love us once we made that move. While we were yet sinners, he loved us. So God's sanctifying work is the ongoing revelation of how much he values you, how much he cherishes you, and how much he's too precious. God is not transforming you because he has something against you. God is bringing you into a life of obedience because he values you and he cherishes you. 
He works on what he cherishes. God's working on you because he cherishes you. Say that. God is working on me because I am precious to him. Come on. So sanctification, simply put, is changing for the better. The sanctifying work of the spirit is transformative. Okay, so that's kind of all my world of theory, theoretical talk. And I want to get real practical for a little bit here, okay? All right. So we can see from the Bible that this work that God is a work of the Holy Spirit. In one sense, what he is doing is very mysterious and shall remain mysterious to us. Okay, God did not make this so easy that one day we all wake up and finally understand everything that he's doing. Okay, so actually, if you stop making that your aim, you'll be much happier. You can grow in wisdom and understanding, but sometimes we're kind of like hyper-focusing on things that God never meant for us to focus on. So maybe sometimes you ask yourself that question, gosh, if I could just figure my life all the way out, then I would be happy. But that's not the reality that the spirit is inviting us into. It's actually quite the opposite. He's inviting us into a reality or at least owning the reality that much of this will not make practical sense. But there is some practical application for us. All right, God did not leave us out just kind of like with no understanding, no wisdom, and everything's just wooey, wooey, wooey. God is just mysterious. Like it's a big mistake to chalk him up to that as well. All right? Okay. So God's sanctifying work is something, it's not a formula. You can't pin it down, but it is written into the fabric of your life. And, and at least from what I can tell so far, and I, I know this isn't uh, an exclusive list, but I've identified three things that God uses in the sanctifying work of your life. So we are changed, we are transformed in three primary ways. Some of these you might like, some of these you might not like. The first way is people. The second way is circumstance. And the third way is encounter. These are the three primary things that God will use to change you. Bad news when it's, when it's the people side of things, isn't it? So the Holy Spirit is always at work in your life and he will often use people to get to you what he is trying to give to you. He will use people to get to you what he's trying to give to you. So, so you remember uh, <clears throat> a couple weeks or last time I preached, I talked for a long time about this really hard decade that Amy and I had, had been through. And I know some of you guys were listening to me. Many of you come up to me afterwards and tell me your own Jonah in the belly of the whale stores story. You remember when I was talking about Jonah in the belly of the whale? Yeah. So 
that season of our life, I was describing it as being a time of great darkness. We had no idea what was going on in our lives. We had no bearings. And we were asking the question on more than one occasion, has God forgotten us? Has any of you ever asked that question? Has God forgotten me? You know what that feeling is like. So two weeks ago, Amy and I are standing, we're standing right here and we're talking to our friend, Ashley Pell. Ashley's a missionary in the Philippines. She's, she's been ministering there for 14 years. I've, we've known her for about three years, but from the moment we met her, she has an anointing and an authority on her life that when she talks, I listen. When she speaks, I pay attention in a way that I don't do with everybody. She also happens to be one of the best preachers um, that I've ever heard. So we'll make sure to get her in this pulpit at some point. But um, so Amy and Ashley and I are having this conversation and and I'm kind of like catching her up to speed about our life. And uh, so I'm going on and on about Jonah and the belly of the whale again, you know. So I'm telling her, I'm emphasizing all of the darkness and the disturbance and the feeling of disconnection that we had been feeling for so long. Okay, and I, I could tell that Ashley understood what I was about. But without skipping a beat and without any pity in her voice, she said, yeah, but the alternative to being in the belly of the whale is drowning in the storm and dying. (laughs) So I looked at Amy. She looked as stunned as I felt. But it was a holy moment for us. We could feel a weighty glory come overtake us. We both wanted to weep and fall on our knees as this new river of gratitude began welling up within us because we had gotten a much better perspective. But she went on. Ashley did not stop there. She said, y'all, that season was God's preservation for you. He was taking you to the place he needed you to be. The difficulty you were experiencing, the darkness that seemed like God's forgetfulness was actually the kindness of God working in your life. I have two words for y'all. Sean die. <laughs> Only the Pentecostals are laughing in here. But this, this is why we need each other, okay? This is why we are not always able to make sense out of what is happening in our lives. This is why we go to church with each other. We need help interpreting the work of the Spirit in our lives because most of the time, God shows up in ways that we are not expecting, God often comes into our lives in ways which surprise us and shock us and to be completely frank in ways we do not prefer. But if you have a wise woman or a man who has a heavenly perspective to give you all of a sudden what seemed like frustrating and irritating dissonance is revealed to be the sweet harmony of the spirit. So for Amy and I, that was a moment of transformation. Not every moment is like that, but for, we recognized that moment. 
that was like a God moment for us. We were like, oh, we just went from glory to glory. We went from the glory of the good perspective that we had to the glory of a better perspective. For us, it was a sanctifying moment, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So God will use people's strengths in your life, their giftings, their wisdom to bring positive change. Ashley is a wise woman with anointing on her her life. She has wisdom and she was giving us her strength and we got strength and we were transformed. But guess what else God will gladly use in the process of your transformation? He will use people's limitations. So you can't expect to be walking around just looking for the good words all the time. Sometimes you're going to bump up up against some things that don't feel good at all. Have you ever met a person who was so annoying? Don't say their name out loud felt like you had no other choice but to walk the other way that was really God's spirit at work in your life trying to get to you something that you didn't have yet let me flesh that out a little bit for you so every creature in this room unless you're a dog or a cat is a human being and human beings have what limitations And sometimes our limitations are irritating to other people. Sometimes we find other people's limitations very irritating. So the Holy Spirit will work in your life through other people's limitations. What we call other people's limitations... God calls his toolbox of transformation. He has a big old toolbox of other people's limitations and foibles that he uses in the sanctifying work of the spirit. So here's a list of all the things that we annoy each other with. Here are the things that we all have a limited amount of it, wisdom, understanding, maturity, social skills, table manners, driving skills, ability to listen, ability to pay attention. Ability to reciprocate in conversation, relational skills, emotional skills, confidence, etc., etc. I'm sure there are plenty more. But it is interesting that we kind of all know this about the world that we live in. But the expectation that we have, for the most part, is that everybody should act, think, and behave like us. So why do we do this? 
We do this because it is way easier for, easier for us to like people who are like us and to dislike people who are not like us. But God allows you to experience other people's limitations because he is trying to shape you into someone who is kinder, more generous, more tender, more merciful than your present self is right now. And you have areas where you need to be transferred, issues that need to be confronted, disrupted, and healed. And here's the thing. We resist people who are not like us all the time. It is possible for you to resist the sanctifying work of the spirit in your life. You can come to church and tell yourself, I'm surrounded by idiots. (laughs) And you would be in danger of resisting the very work of God in your life. You know, it's, it's very challenging for people to go to a charismatic church if they're not used to it. You know what happens to people when, when they've never seen somebody encounter God before? Judgments rise up. A lack of experience rises up. A lack of perspective rises up. A lack of understanding rises up. And guess what happens to human beings when they... They're in a place where they lack understanding and wisdom. The automatic response is to go back to the place where they had something they could understand. And if you do that, you can miss the very thing that God was trying to deliver you to bring you into health and wholeness. It's very challenging to live with people, isn't it? But how you react to the limitations of the people around you has a direct correlation to how slowly or quickly you mature and grow in grace. Believe it or not, the limitations of the people that you live with is the incubator of your transformation. The limitations of the people you live with is the incubator of your transformation. I traveled to Maine last weekend. I was doing some stuff at a church up in Maine and and an old friend, we ran into an old friend up there. And um, it's very interesting. I I lead a very interesting life. I... I get asked to preach. I never get asked to preach charismatic churches, but the Anglicans love me. I don't know if you know what an Anglican is, but they're like high church liturgical people. Everything is, um, you know, there's an order to things. And uh, a friend came to me. She, she happened to be, she, she showed up for this thing that I was doing. And at the end of this thing, she asked me this question. Andy, 
I, I know what your internal philosophy or theology is. And I know some of the things that you think about God and life, etc. She said, why, why are you still at a church like River Life? And she wasn't being condescending. She wasn't, she, she loves this place. It's just like asking me that question. Like, um, like she was, she was mystified that a bunch of us in this room don't all see the world exactly the same. And she was mystified by the fact that we could all be together in the way that we are. And I said, well, first of all, I have been marked by these people. I have been changed by these people. I have been, I have grown and grown up because I have cried out for the pure spiritual milk of the word with these people. I have a spiritual history with these people and inheritance given to me and my children through these people. And agreements on every logical jot and tittle is not necessary for me to stand shoulder to shoulder with those men and women and lift my voice in worship and and sit under the anointed preaching of the man of God and receive from heaven. I don't have to think exactly like the person on my right or my left. I have chosen to keep myself in a place where, um, well, to be totally crass, I, I say dang to a perfectly curated life. <laughs> Except I say that other word. <laughs> but like folks are really obsessed with getting everything just right all of the time so that they can finally be at ease, whether it's in church or in their family, whatever. And I mean, do we want things to be good? Of course we do. We're always thinking about how to do things better. I'm not saying we throw out like going after good things, but I don't know. I just think Christians should be the best people at awkward things. Moments. (laughs) Moments. <laughs> like we should be, we should be so secure and confident in the Lord that we, when we come into situations that we don't quite understand, we're just okay. We're just trusting the Lord. I don't know exactly what's going on there, but the Lord knows. And I would rather be in a place where something can actually happen than a place where nothing ever happens. I would rather be in a place where there was at least a possibility where somebody could make a mess in the room than in a place where everybody's afraid to move to the right or the left because they're so concerned by what somebody else is thinking next to them. Are you with me? All right. So God has called you and you are in the middle of your transformation. And he has called you to live with other people who happen to be in the middle of their transformation. So guess what? Now you know that and you can just heap big old heaping table cupfuls of grace upon the people that you're, you're walking around with. You must live with other people and their limitations, and they must live with yours. 
God really cares about how you live among your people. He wants you to be nice. He is using your people in the sanctifying work of the spirit in your life. Now, that's the community aspect, but there's, there's closer relationships than that, right? If you happen to be married, you've got a relationship with your husband or wife, or you have siblings. Um, if you're a single person, you probably have your mom and dad or some, a close group of friends. Now, Amy and I, I want to tell you this. We are happily married. We, we don't just love each other. We like each other. We really do. Thank you for that. So the thing is this, healthy relationships, they don't just happen. You have to invest in them. Amy and I, we really like each other, but we each bring a very particular set of limitations to our relationship. We are each very strongly opinionated people with differing perspectives. You guys think that I'm the opinionated person in, the, in this relationship, but I can, I can tell you Amy has some thoughts. But we are each strongly opinionated. We have differing perspectives. We have differing backgrounds. And sometimes our differing views can lead us to terrible arguments and frustrations. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or is this just me and Amy? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Oh, this. yes. Okay. I'm not going to call any names out. Yeah. So, but the limitations that we bring into our re- relationship, they sometimes seem like an unsolvable mystery, which we cannot resolve. And full confession, sometimes they lead us to yelling or quiet resentment. Okay, these are, these are kind of normal dynamics for people who are in relationships with each other. So what do we do? What do we do when we're at an impasse with another person? Do we ignore the issue and just sweep it under the rug? Do we cuss and scream at each other until there's no chance of reconciliation? So... I know you know this, but the most common thing that human beings do when they are confronted with differences that seem irreconcilable is that they part ways, they separate, they divide, they isolate, and they alienate from each other, which is the exact opposite of that, what the Holy Spirit does. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians We received reconciliation from the Father, and now we have a ministry of reconciliation. So we're just going around reconciling people to one another, reconciling people to the Lord himself. This this reconciliation thing is in, in your DNA. It's in your spiritual heritage. So when you can when you feel yourself at odds with somebody and you're being tempted to isolate and alienate away from that person. Just know at that moment, you're not fulfilling the ministry of reconciliation. But God's heart is not that we try to dominate or isolate. 
The truth is that the differences we each bring to our relationships might seem to appear to be a design flaw, but really they are an invitation to be sanctified, transformed, and conformed into the likeness of Christ. When we accept each other's limitations instead of constantly resisting them, we are giving grace to that person to have room to grow in the Spirit's time. And we open the door for the sanctifying work of the Spirit in our own lives. Amy and I have been married for 30 years now. And I think, I think I'm just starting to get traction on a few things that she's been trying to teach me for a really long time. Okay? Transformation can take some time. This is why the grace of God is so important because you cannot control somebody into the thing that God wants to give them. That transformative thing that God wants to do in our lives, it takes time and it takes space. Time and space are gifts to us from the spirit. God is patient with us. Therefore, we must be patient with one another. So like the micro version of this is you and your family, your spouse, whatever situation relationally that you have. But there's, and then, and then the next level is like, we need to be walking this stuff out within the context of this church. Um, but I'm thinking about 2024. I know I've spoken to a lot of you, a lot, there's a lot of dread and there's a lot of like ominous foreboding with this election year. I'm telling y'all, I'm not going to come under that fear this year. I'm just, I'm just not going to have like that dread dictate my life this year. And I want to really encourage y'all don't assume that your politics are the politics of the person sitting next to you in this church. Okay. You need to give grace to that person to work their stuff out. That's, that's the only way to do this and for the unity of Christ to be maintained. We, we, are, we are citizens first to the kingdom of God. We're very thankful Americans. We are very thankful freedoms that we have. We're very thankful for being planted and rooted in, in this country. But I want to resist every spirit of the age that wants to try to seduce me to go to war with the person sitting next to me based on their limitations. That's what's coming for the church. It, it, it really is the bait of Satan. Because if, if Satan, I, I don't know, I don't know what the math is, but all I know is like, in my heart, I want to remain as tender as I possibly can. And, and y'all, I'm very conservative. I'm very conservative. My kids will tell you that, I, you know, I'm, a, I, I'm not, a, I guess I'm a Republican. I'm not really sure, but I, in, my, in my heart, I'm just a conservative guy. But, but my conservatism, I don't want it to be an idol in my life. I want to, I want to give my allegiance to Jesus Christ primarily, first and foremost. And if the Holy Spirit is bringing us into this place where he's driving, driving's the wrong word. If he's compelling us into this sweet koinonia of being with each other, 
in the unity of Christ. I don't want to resist that. So I still got 50. Are y'all all right? Because I can keep going. Okay. So I'm done with people. That was the prime, first thing that God uses in the sanctifying work. The second, the second part is circumstances. God uses our circumstances to bring change into our lives. All right? Now, I want to say this. I don't think that God is a big puppet master in the sky just hanging around pulling strings. Hopefully, none of you have that idea about God. But I have some, like, Reformed brethren friends who, like, they, they think that God is, like, absolutely in control of every move. Everything has already been predetermined. That's not my view. That's, that's not a charismatic theology, okay? I believe that God is on the move. He has invited me into that work, and we're working together, all right? Not everything is predetermined. So I should just start with that. So, but I have God's hand in almost every circumstance of my life, whether in the most joyous or the most difficult situations, I would be a fool if I did not acknowledge his presence and purpose in every circumstance of my life. I don't always see it when it's happening, but when I look back over the course of my life, even in the tragic moments, God was always present and he was always at work. This is the thing we, we really have to get a hold of this because when, when, the, when the tough times come, when the, the most tragic times come, that's when we're most tempted to think that God has checked out. He does not cause every circumstance, but he certainly allows it all. He doesn't often explain why the circumstances are happening, but he is absolutely working his redemptive purposes through every single season of our lives. Circumstances are the situations that your life is made up of. Some circumstances are manageable, but some circumstances are what we call impossible. As in, there's not much we can do to change them. In either case, God has seen fit to allow them in your life. Why does God allow difficult circumstances? Because there's a lot to discover about the goodness of God through your difficulties. Sometimes the Lord wants to teach you how to pray so that your circumstances will change. Sometimes he wants to teach you how to pray so that you can endure when your circumstances don't change. God wants us to discover the joy of knowing him during unchanging circumstances. The sanctifying work of the spirit can be seen and felt in the tapestry of our complicated lives. Do you ever judge yourself for having too complicated of a life? And the thing that you tell yourself is all the other people that you know have simpler lives than you do. That's a lie. Everybody is trying to figure out how to live right now. If you've got a young family, you're trying to figure out what to do about childcare. Should we work one job or two jobs? How do, how do, we, how do we juggle all of this? You know, I mean, there's just a plethora of things that people are contending with in their practical everyday lives. Some of us are living under the duress of unanswered prayers. Some of us are living under the burden of unrealized dreams. 
Some of us are dealing with unmet expectations. Some of us are navigating through challenges that seem absolutely unfair. And we often ask God, where are you? Where are you, God? Have you forgotten me? Peter gives us an answer in his first chapter. And frankly, sometimes I don't want to hear what Peter has to say about this. He said this, this is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you may endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So this is an interesting thing. If you read over the entire New Testament, the writers of every New Testament book assumed that difficult circumstances would be a part of our lives. There's no equation, there's no, there's no delivery given New Testament that gives folks kind of like a way out of that part of life. The scriptures testify that to the apostles, difficult circumstances were never a sign that God was not working. It was a sign that God absolutely was working. I don't know, that just helps me. That just helps me because when my life feels like it's veering down these tracks, I've got no control. It appears that he has no control. I have a blessed assurance inside of me that all this fiery trials may be going on in my life. And Peter's answer to me is be glad, be truly glad. I mean, I'm telling you right now that that would be a work of the spirit in my life. If, if difficult circumstances showed up and then I just threw a joy party. I typically don't do that. I mean, you know, we inebriate ourselves, don't we? We go, we go to other places to get a little comfort. We go to other places to get a little security. And sometimes I, I feel like God upends our, our false senses of security in this life so that he can bring us to that place where we can find that true joy, that true sense of security in him alone. This is really interesting. Did you know that if you did not have circumstances that you would not need faith? And faith is the thing that you were hardwired to live from. Faith is the thing that you're hardwired to walk by. If you could see and understand everything, you would not need to trust God. Your circumstances are a gift to you. And that gift 
is a crucible of your fellowship with the Lord. I love it. I love this. I think about the crucible all the time. I think about the pestle and the mortar all the time. It is the metaphor of my life. When people ask me what my theology is about anything about life, I just say, oh, I'm a, I'm a, a between a rock and a hard place person. I live my whole life between a rock and a hard place. That, that, it, that, that pestle and that mortar, I'm stuck between that pestle and the mortar and I'm just being ground down. And what comes out of that grinding down is this beautiful aroma, this beautiful song of praise, this beautiful act of continual trust. I can't move forward. I can't go backwards. My life is a complete mystery that you don't understand. Most of my relationships are difficult. I'm having to figure out how to die to myself every day. And I just have to continually push forward and yield to the, the work of the spirit in my life that's taking me to a, a gentler way of being, a more merciful way of being, a kinder way of being to the people in my life. Let me, I'm gonna tell on myself for just a second. And I'm sure some of you could probably relate to this. Your spouse says some, something to you and you instantly act with a defensive word. You, you have a knee-jerk reaction. You snap. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but, but that bad habit, that's a place where God wants to meet you. That's a place where God wants to lead you into a direction of surprising your spouse with a gentler word. That's the place where God wants to lead you uh, to, to where you're no longer a bully in the relationship. And you start being just, I don't know. I keep hearing the word nice person. I don't know. It seems such a like unremarkable way of thinking about this. But I think, I think we overcomplicate these things sometimes. We try to become so spiritual because we think that the more outwardly spiritual we can be, then we won't have to deal with the little things that we do that injure the people around us. We can't hide behind our outward spirituality if we just keep slapping each other in the face over and over and expecting to get away with it. Hope I'm not bringing you all down this morning. So here, here's an impossible circumstance that every single person in this room is in right now. I, 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 I identified it this week, actually. Every single person in this room shares the same dynamic. We are all in this together. We are living in an impossible circumstance right now, whether you feel it or not. This is crazy. When, I, when you say this out loud, none of us have ever seen the Lord with our own eyes. That's an impossible circumstance. You are walking your entire life by faith. You have bet everything on the man Christ Jesus, and you have not set your physical eyes on the physical person of your Lord. 
What, what a crucible that is. This overarching circumstance, though, is a sanctifying work of the Spirit in operation in our lives. And Peter said it this way. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. You rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward of trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Y'all, y'all, let me tell you this. The only gift, the only thing that we have to give the Lord right now is following him, worshiping him, betting everything that we have on him even though we have never seen him. If we had seen him, we would not be able to give him that gift. What what did Jesus say to his apostles as he's, he's ascending to the father's, the right hand of the father? He says, it's better for me that I go. It's better for you that I go. It's better for you that you can no longer see me with physical eyes. Why is that? Because he knew that the greatest pleasure of your life would be to give him everything that you have, even though you are in the impossible circumstances of having never laid eyes on him. I made it to my third point. And this is going to be short. I promise. The last thing I want to draw your attention to, and I'm so thankful that the Lord wrapped this up for me this morning because I didn't know how to do this. But the last thing that the Lord changes us through, the first one is people. The second one is circumstances. But, but probably the funnest thing of all, maybe it's not fun. It, it could not be fun occasionally. But the funnest thing of all, encountering the living Christ, encountering the person of the Holy Spirit, encountering our good heavenly father. Simply put, The reality of experiencing the actual presence of God, coming face to face with him, whether in ecstatic mystical encounters of prayer or in exuberant times of praise or in the thirst quenching rivers of worship. We know as people who have been persuaded by the majesty of his presence that encountering God is non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. I'm... I'm actually surprised, y'all, at how many believers have given up on this part. I mean, most of y'all come here every Sunday and you can see the emphasis put on encounter, but it's, it's rare. It's rare. And, and we, need to, we need to be humble about it. We don't want to be prideful about this, but I, but I can be thankful. I can be thankful for, for what the Lord has given us and that there is a leadership within this church that is saying yes to the Lord in that. Because I've had my life profoundly confronted by the presence of God, disrupted by the presence of God, healed by the presence of God, made whole by the presence of God. I have such a better life because God came to me in actuality and rewired my heart, rewired mind, gave me better thoughts, gave me a hope when I did not have a hope. 
gave me wisdom when I was a fool. Gave me a purpose when I was just sitting around twiddling my thumbs. And God wants to do that for every single person. Whether you have like a grand destiny or you have just a regular destiny. I mean, you know, whatever it is that God has called you is good. Because we're not, our metrics, our criteria aren't about whether you're in the pulpit or not. We're, We're just like, we're just following Jesus and whatever he gives us to do, that's what we're doing. Man, I was... I was getting kind of blasted in worship this morning because, um, you know, that we got Bill over here on the bass sounding great. We got Heather over here sounding amazing. I mean, the whole band, I, y'all don't know this, but I text Jacob when he's leading worship sometimes. You know, you, you're not doing good right now, Jacob. <laughs> Jacob, you got to get better at this. But I, I was just getting blasted by the Lord this morning. And I was, I was texting with Jacob. The band sounds really good this morning. And I saw him look over while he's going like this. Oh. But, um, but I wanted to say this thing about music that's applicable to us in all of our lives. So the worship that happens on this stage, the worship leading that happens on this stage, it sounds like people's actual lives. Because Bill is not a professional bass player by trade. He has a job that he goes to every day. And the most beautiful sound to the Lord's ears are the non-professional sounding notes that he's playing. What some people would say was a detriment is really an asset. What some people would call a liability is really a fantastic orchestra and that's, that's when we all come together and we bring our everyday lives into this place. And maybe you don't sing like an angel or maybe you can't play an instrument. It doesn't matter. We're just lifting up our hearts together because we know that encountering the Lord as individuals is great. But encountering him all together is like the best thing going. If you, if, you, if you look at the New Testament, it's very rare that somebody has an encounter with the Lord all by themselves. It's mostly together. It's mostly corporate. Why don't we believe for a few things this week? Why don't we believe we ask the Lord to, that we would have a greater awareness this week when we're around people? people's limitations and that we would act more gracefully. And then let's also ask the Lord right now that we would be paying attention for encounters with the Lord this week. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.